0: Hi, I'm Ryan Levy. Welcome to Cyberism's Malicious Life. In April 2011, facing up to three years in prison, Hayastan Shakarian gave an interview to reporters. Tearfully, she claimed that she didn't even know what the Internet was. Remarkably, she might have been telling the truth. Shakarian was a 75-year-old pensioner from rural Georgia, not the state in the US, but the country in Eastern Europe, and there aren't many ways to make the following point without sounding a little me. But suffice to say, Shakarian looks like the type of person who genuinely might not know what the Internet is. Maybe she was consciously playing that up. She'd also lied about what she was doing on her fateful day, claiming to have been collecting firewood. Either way, Miss Shakarian came face to face with the Internet in a way few among us ever have or will. She was very poor, and so to make some extra money, she used to go digging around the countryside for copper wires. Stealing and reselling copper from power infrastructure is illegal and dangerous, but surely one poor old lady can't do that much harm on her own, right? Right? Well, on March 28, 2011, she ended up wandering from the forest towards a set of train tracks in the village of Ksani, around 37 miles outside of Georgia's capital city of Tbilisi. She dug the tracks until she hit something, a cable, the single most important cable in the country. Of the 552 existing and planned submarine fiber-optic cables making up today's Internet, few are more politically intriguing than the Caucasus cable system, a 12.6 terabyte connection between eastern Bulgaria and western Georgia across the Black Sea. It alone connects Georgia to the Internet infrastructure in Europe without having to rely on some of their more disagreeable neighbors, like, oh, just totally random example, Russia. The Caucasus cable, of course, has to be routed to Tbilisi and beyond on land. Cleverly, the underground cabling lies beneath the National Railway Line, approximately the most efficient route between major cities anywhere, all the while avoiding any land-use issues. Meanwhile, Armenia... Georgia's southern neighbor, has its own nearby political tensions to deal with, and so they're in on the action, with Georgia's underground cable providing most of their internet connectivity. That's the groundwork for how a poor old lady managed to cause an international incident of epic scale.
1: One of the core uh, submarine submarine cables that connects the backbone of the internet uh, experiences a failure of one type or another, there are dramatic impacts.
0: That's Doug Madori. He's made his career in studying internet routing infrastructure.
1: It affects many countries, uh, the connectivity. Some, some of them may be disconnected,
0: Experts estimated that by cutting into the cable Nif Georgian Railway, Ms. Shakarian interrupted Internet service to over 3.5 million people, including around 90% of all Internet users in Armenia, for approximately 12 hours. Some dubbed her the spade hacker. Many felt empathy for her. She is crying all the time, her son Sergo told reporters. She is so scared. Oddly enough, though, she wasn't even first to do something like this. Another person digging for copper wire interrupted the internet in Georgia just two years prior.
1: Um, It's quite common, as a matter of fact. Uh, On any given week, I don't know what the stat is, but there's a, a dozen cable cuts around the world.
0: Little old ladies, dangerous as they may be, aren't the only risk to underground cables. Ordinary construction work that needs to be done in or around the location of a cable line can cause similar accidental damage. Gophers can chew through some of the protective layers surrounding the optical fibers, as can termites and other kinds of animals and insects. Fires are a problem. In war, explosions. For those reasons, and many more, like cost, land use, the complexity of installation, and so on, it's often preferable to lay the Internet's backbone along the ocean floor. If you visit submarinecablemap.com, you'll see lots of Internet lines running around the circumference of landmasses, drawing outlines of huge regions like Africa and the Middle East for this reason. But the water comes with its own issues.
1: Ship anchor is one of the top causes of, uh, of cable cuts. Basically, what ends up happening is a ship drops an anchor. They're supposed to stay out of uh, areas where there's a cable zone and not drop an anchor there. They're in shallow waters. The anchor rests on the ground, or the, the seabed. And um, so one of two things can happen. Uh, believe it or not, there are cases where the ship uh, decides it's time to, time to go, and they don't pull up their anchor, uh, and they drag the anchor along uh, and until they realize that they oh they forgot, forgot to pull up the anchor. And in the meantime, the anchor, by dragging along the seabed, snags a cable and uh, breaks a cable. That is um, uh, more common than you would you might think, and uh, or fishing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fishing that uh, these days where they'll drag a net across the bottom of the uh, seafloor to try to catch every living thing, and then you know, pull up the hull and just throw out everything they don't want. Well, when they do that, they scrape along the bottom of the seafloor, then uh, they may snag a cable.
0: There are risks to underwater cables besides ships, as Tonga experienced just last year. Back in 2013, the small Pacific island nation spent $15 million to connect their island with Fiji and, by extension, Australia and the wider world. Then, beginning in December 20th, 2022, the darnest thing happened. The BBC called it a magma hammer a month-long eruption of the Hanga-Tanga-Hanga-Haphai submarine volcano around 200 kilometers from the coast of Tanga, which culminated in an utterly biblical conclusion. Its effects radiated over an area the size of Germany, its plume reaching up to 57 kilometers into the sky. It sent somewhere between 20 and 200,000 tons of water into space and created, according to one expert, the, quote, greatest concentration of lightning ever detected. Over 400,000 lightning events on only its final day, January 15th, a rate of over 5,000 every minute. Meanwhile, the Fermi telescope, in low orbit around the Earth, for the first time ever, detected a gamma-ray flash, not from a black hole or an exploding star, but a volcano. It will come as no surprise then that the single fiber optic cable connecting Tanga with the wider internet was severely damaged in the maelstrom. From the evening of January 15th, the citizens of Tanga were entirely cut off from the internet. Tanga, like Georgia, wasn't completely new to such circumstances. In 2019, An outage caused by a ship's anchor inspired them to install backup satellite connectivity for just such an occasion as this. And so, after five days without a packet entering or leaving the island, on the evening of January 20th, that system helped restore a connection. It wasn't without fault, though. Tons of volcanic ash swirling around the atmosphere isn't optimal for connectivity. Tanga is an extreme example of the threat to internet infrastructure, both because of the risk in natural disasters and because of their isolation. Most major population hubs are served by multiple connections. There are two undersea cables serving the city where we record these podcasts, Tel Aviv in Israel, and one more, the Blue Raman, is planned for 2024. When I go home after work, I travel to Haifa, which shares one of those connections with Tel Aviv and has its own separate line running to Cyprus and beyond. No undersea cables travel directly to the city where Nate Nilsson, this show's writer, lives. But that's only because there are like 15 fiber optic endpoints within close driving distance. A bit greedy of him, perhaps. One would think that with multiple cables serving most major metropolitan areas, an issue with only one might not cause such an impact, as the traffic could simply be rerouted. And that's true, one cable going down will only cause congestion and slowdowns. But even the world's most popular destinations for internet cables have outages, as you may have experienced yourself without realizing the cause. A lot of our listeners are from places where such events have occurred very recently. Like on April 27th of last year, in one of the most brazen, effective, and mysterious attacks ever committed against the Internet. It happened during the early morning hours in the north, south, and east of Paris. In a coordinated strike, three sites containing underground fiber-optic cables were dug out, exposed, and cut through, cleanly, as if by a professional-grade buzzsaw. The cables are cut in such a way as to cause a lot of damage and therefore take a huge time to repair, a CEO of an affected telecom told Wired. It is the work of professionals." The perpetrators were so diligent that rather than simply slicing through the wires, they sliced in two different spots each time, removing entire sections so that the severed ends couldn't simply be sawn together again. The mystery surrounding the case was only compounded when on October 18th, a new set of three severances were made around the city of Marseille at connecting points towards Lyon, Barcelona and Milan. Again, the attacks were coordinated and again it significantly interrupted service not only in Marseille but also connecting cities. To date, it's unclear whether the two attacks were coordinated, who may have carried them out, or what the motive was. So, in case it's not already clear, disruptions to the world's internet cables happen more often than you think. There are many, many cases we simply don't have time to get into in one podcast. Whether it be ship anchors or animals or saboteurs, cut a few wires in the right places and you can disrupt or shut off the internet for broad populations of people at the time. 90% of a country here, 75 million people there. It's an immense power that runs through these lines, a power that can be sabotaged or, in the right hands, weaponized. The best strategy for organizations to avoid becoming a victim of ransomware is to prevent the attack from being successful in the first place. CyberReason remains undefeated in the fight against ransomware because it moved beyond alerting to deliver an operation centric approach that detects and prevents ransomware attacks at the earliest stages of initial ingress and lateral movement. The CyberReason predictive response capability disrupts ransomware attacks prior to data exfiltration and long before the ransomware payload can be delivered. Visit cyberreason.com to learn more about predictive ransomware protection and how your organization can realize both increased efficiency and efficacy through an operation-centric approach to security operations. Consider, for example, the country of Egypt.
1: Well, it's just a a reality of the uh, geography of the world that the best way to connect between uh, Western Europe, the Middle East, South Asia, and the Far East is through Egypt.
0: A full 16 submarine cable systems travel from the Mediterranean Sea through Egypt and out through the Middle East and beyond.
1: You know, they come ashore in Alexandria or on the coast in Egypt. They traverse uh, the uh, overland uh, over Egypt. They go back into the water in the Red Sea and then continue on.
0: Many of these cables extend so far as to wrap around Europe and Southeast Asia, from Ireland to Australia, Belgium to Korea. So when you hear someone talk about the Internet quote-unquote connecting people around the world, Picture Egypt in the middle.
1: Everybody you know, looks at the same problem and realizes that's the best way to do it. Same for shipping, and it's the same for the internet. And so as a result, uh, we have a lot of submarine cables that have a that go the same route, and, uh, and so that incurs some risk.
0: Last summer, a reporter for Data Center Dynamics attempted to interview industry experts about the matter of Telecom Egypt. Egypt's national telecommunications provider. His inquiries were met with resistance. The story of Egypt's submarine stranglehold is hard to tell, he wrote. Several analysts declined to talk on the record due to business relationships with Telecom Egypt, and in Egypt itself, it's even harder to talk about the cable situation. End Being in the middle of most of the world's Internet grants huge influence. Egypt's soft power extends as long as its cables do. When there's instability in the government, there's instability for the world's Internet. And understanding the power they wield, the government has taken on the practice of price gouging. Telcom Egypt used to charge $100,000 for a perpetual license to use its cables, but learned it was far more optimal to charge for subscriptions. Now, a good chunk of the company's operating revenue comes not from serving the Internet to Egyptians, but charging licensing fees to companies all around the world. Exorbitant and ridiculous fees, some industry experts say, which in some ways get passed on to the customer. People started to revolt, Doug told Data Center Dynamics. Although, what can you do? It's not like there's another Egypt you can go through.
1: And so there's been a handful of attempts to try to uh, go around egypt and each one uh, offers its own a set of challenges uh so there was a a project called the jadi uh line that was uh when it go from jeddah amman jordan to damascus syria to istanbul was j-a-d-i
0: the terrestrial line was designed by the government telecom companies of Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Jordan, and Syria, 2,530 kilometers over land, bypassing the Egypt bottleneck. Uh,
1: that line was constructed and was actually in operation for a little while before the uh, hostilities began in Syria. The cable was uh, severed and was never, uh, never repaired.
0: Nobody wanted to travel to an active war zone to repair a blown-out cable that would probably just get blown up again. Uh,
1: another route went from Turkey through Iraq. That's never gained traction. Uh, in the past, it's been due to conflict. These days, I'm not sure what the what's going on uh, with that. And then there was a line there, I guess there still is a line that goes uh, through Iran as well. That was the EPEG uh, Europe-Persia Express Gateway
0: 10,000 kilometers, Oman to Iran, Russia, Ukraine, Germany, and other countries in between.
1: And uh, so in April 2013, uh, we spotted the first evidence of that uh, route being in use. Uh, In the end, that also didn't uh, didn't get a lot of traction.
0: Iran, with a taste of the power their Egyptian neighbors have enjoyed for so long, decided they too would charge a hefty price for running wires through their land.
1: A lot of times these things, uh, you have a lot of countries on these trans-terrestrial uh, lines that each want, uh, they all have to cooperate, they all want to get paid a lot, they think their segment is the most important, and um, they end up being very costly as a result. And they end up not getting, uh, not getting as much traction as these uh, submarine cable Uh, projects. So, as a result, everybody kind of ends up going back to uh, Egypt. Egypt
0: isn't the only country that can exert political, economic, and all kinds of other pressures on other nations via internet infrastructure.
1: Cuba had been left out of every submarine cable project in the Caribbean because every company wanted to completely uh, steer clear of the U.S. embargo.
0: With no company willing to cross the United States, Cuba for decades had to rely on satellite-based internet of the kind they used in Tonga. Uh,
1: satellite in general is capacity-constrained, geostationary, uh, has a high latency, so it's very sluggish when you try to interact with it, um, and then the price per megabit pushed is uh, a lot higher than if you were going across a, a terrestrial or a submarine uh, fiber-optic line.
0: Finally, a fiber optic lifeline arrived.
1: The Venezuelan government at the time, led by Hugo Chavez, I guess took pity on the Cubans. They put up their own uh, money and said they would connect Cuba to the global internet. Uh, They built this cable and it was completed in uh, 2011.
0: 2011, only a dozen years ago. Rebecca Black, Arrow in the Knee, and No Not November are older than Cuba's fiber-optic internet. And it took many months, even after the cable was finished, for ordinary Cubans to experience the full results. To this day, Cuba continues to struggle with the embargo's impact on its internet availability.
1: Since then, it's been the one cable, and it's... uh... No one has built another one. Although just recently, Arcos is another submarine cable project in the Caribbean uh, that has uh, applied for permission from the U.S. government because it lands in the, US, uh, in the U.S. It gets to has to ask permission, ask permission from the U.S. government if they could build a spur over to Cuba, and uh, that was recently rejected. And uh, uh, my my position is that that was more to do with geopolitics than. Uh, any cybersecurity rationale that they had uh, included in their their decision.
0: Try to grasp the consequences of all this to the economy, the culture, and a generation of young people. Reliable, high-speed internet availability impacts the efficiency of healthcare, economic opportunities for the middle class and the poor, and it can literally change who runs countries. Egypt demonstrated as much that very same year, 2011, when a grassroots political movement blossomed from Twitter and managed to depose a three-decade-long dictator, despite that dictator's attempts to cut it off at the source. Dictators are already known to shut down the Internet in their own countries, just recently in Iran, for example. Cables provide a means to do the same outwardly. It may be that somewhere down the line, instead of pointing guns or sabotaging computer systems, armies use infrastructure to threaten their neighbors. There's already evidence that governments are aware of the possibility.
1: Uh, So China has their own uh, submarine cable industry. Uh, They have a a company that can manufacture and install long-haul submarine cable uh uh soaring cables and they uh they often come in at a much lower bid than the, the uh, western competitors uh so but when they get selected then uh, western governments including the united states uh weigh in and ask them to find another vendor because they don't want uh the chinese to build a submarine cable between whether it's the united states and hong kong or united states and europe
0: The US may block Chinese fiber optic projects due to the theoretical risk of surveillance or to help their own telecom companies get the contracts. But even more serious consequences are at stake.
1: Probably more at risk is Taiwan, which has been in the news lately, they've actually had a few cable cuts uh, recently that's kind of stoked these conversations around uh, how vulnerable Uh, is Taiwan, uh, and there are a handful of submarine cables, and if they were to be cut, uh, they would be in a lot of trouble. It would be very hard to uh, recreate the capacity that they get from a submarine cable through a satellite system.
0: It feels like we could be on the cusp of something, of just one powerful regime realizing the power beneath their feet or their shores, and changing the nature of cyber warfare forever. Because really, the only thing preventing big, powerful countries from cutting off the web is the precedent such an act would set.
1: Yeah, I wonder if we won't get to a point where some of those norms are not honored anymore. There's no technical mechanism that uh, keeps people from doing... Well, I mean, there there are some, but like, if, if Ukraine really wanted to mess with Uh, Russia, if they started announcing all the Russian IP address space, uh, uh, you know, so that may get blocked by their transit providers, but they could start really messing with the Russian uh, Internet and then the Russians could start doing something similar to Ukrainians or someone else. Uh, And we have, we do have some route filtering that would probably prevent uh, some of that, but um, could really devolve, I would think, in a a way that we uh, maybe haven't anticipated yet.
0: There is actually one recent development that may break the stranglehold some select powerful governments have over the world's Internet. In 2020, a brand new $400 million cable was announced to the world. From Mumbai to Djibouti, through Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Israel and on to Italy, it promised to entirely bypass the Egypt bottleneck. Projected to be completed in 2024, it's actually marketed as two cables, Blue and Raman, but likely only for political purposes, as one side runs through Israel and the other through their enemy, Saudi Arabia. It was a remarkable diplomatic feat to even get the project off the ground. One industry expert marveled to data center dynamics about how the proprietors were quote Able to negotiate something with the various parts. I should probably stop talking. What country could have possibly negotiated an internet peace between Israelis and the Saudis? (laughs) No country at all. For most of the history of the web, fiber optic cables have been owned and operated by major telecoms, like Telecom Egypt. Often, these corporations are government-owned, like the world's second largest provider, China Telecom, or at least government cooperative, like the world's largest provider, AT&T. But having just recently cracked the top 10, are two new entrants into the game who don't quite fit that mold, both with 100,000 kilometers of cable to their names. Google and Facebook.
1: Uh, it's not just Google, Facebook, Amazon, uh, getting into uh, submarine cable space. Uh, they, you know, these guys move a lot of traffic, and uh, they want it to be, instead of buying from uh, the other consortiums and vendors, they want it to be building their own cables.
0: Google, with billions of dollars to spare, and cloud infrastructure in both Israel and Saudi Arabia, may just be the perfect entity to break the Egypt bottleneck. And Facebook is involved in Africa, the longest undersea cable ever built, set to go live this year. It will reach from the UK to India, encircling essentially the entire continent of Africa along the way. Big tech companies offer an alternative for government monopolies in Internet infrastructure, for better or for worse. Who would you rather oversee the global web? Xi Jinping or Mark Zuckerberg? That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. As usual, a few shout-outs to people who wrote nice things about us on the interwebs. To Voldy Moral, a cybersecurity wizard who included us in her top 10 cybersecurity podcasts to follow in 2023. Thank you, Voldy. It's an honor. To Hakon K. Ulfsen from Norway, who, following VK's tweet from a couple of episodes ago about not having a long enough commute, posted a picture of him listening to the podcast while doing the dishes. Very relatable, Hakun. I'm actually recording this while doing the dishes. To Cyber Material, an online repository of data for IT and cybersecurity, who recommended our episode about China's unrestricted cyber warfare to their followers, and to Mr. Fresh, a spacecraft systems engineer, Probably the coolest job title in the world, if you ask me, who tweeted, quote, I just listened to parts one and two of the Lawrence Berkeley hack, but against Rand's suggestion, I listened out of order. It wasn't until part one that I realized this was the story of the cuckoo's egg that started my intrigued fascination with hacking. End quote. Shout out to our longtime pal Will von Zextron from Dublin. Who noted, following the Lawrence Berkeley Hack episodes, that dates in Germany are actually presented in reverse order relative to dates in US format, 23 5 1989, as opposed to 5 23 1989, as in the American format? That's interesting, because it's actually one of the many adjustments I had to make as a writer when I started writing for American audiences dates are reversed, inches and feet instead of centimeters and meters, Fahrenheit instead of Celsius. It took me a while to get used to thinking in American. These two specific episodes, by the way, were written by Nate, who is American, hence the reversed dates. And lastly, a shout-out to Gucci Ferstaco Third from Bucharest, Romania. Buna, Gucci Ferstaco who tweeted, quote, Clifford Stahl, hack of the 80s, is out. Interesting to hear the other side of the hack. The other side of the hack? I'm interested. If you have a story to tell us, Gucci Ferstaco, I'm all ears. Malicious Life is produced by PI Media. This episode was written by Nate Nilsson, with editing and sound design by myself. Sarit Hurtzman does our social media. Our website is malicious.life and you can follow us on Twitter at @maliciouslife Malicious Life or me at at Levy. That's R-A-N L-E-V-I. Thanks to Cyber Reason for underwriting the podcast. Learn more at cyberreason.com.
1: Bye-bye.